What leadership is, is having a vision. Sticking with the big picture. It's all about scale. Making bold decisions. Then we build the companies that actually transform the world. Welcome to our first ever episode of Manager's Table Podcast, which is a podcast about management, leadership, really focused around engineering managers. I want to introduce my co-host, Jared. Do you want to give an introduction of who you are, what you do, and yeah, why, why are we doing this podcast? Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Jared Jordan. I manage the Originals user interface team. Uh, it's a cross-functional team that uh, is geared to make you Netflix and chill. So if, right before you uh, want to look at something for Netflix, my job is to captivate you and make sure that you know and have context on what you're about to watch. Right on. Well, and I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix as well. I'm also on the UI engineering team. What my team does is we're the acquisition UI team, which we focus on building signup, which is cross-platform as well. So we're doing that for across iOS, Android, website, and TV. But yeah, we're getting you so that you can Netflix and chill. Um, we're getting you to that spot. Yeah. And then Jared's actually trying to help get you to the right piece of content. So yeah, the, the, around this podcast, we we decided that we wanted to talk about management and leadership and, and really with a focus on engineering leaders. Uh, there aren't a lot of great materials out there. So we thought, why not have some good conversations with people and and talk with them about how they lead, how our perceptions are of being managers, anything else. Why else would we do this podcast? We do this to have fun. Like, yeah. I think there's a lot of um, understanding out there or misunderstandings out there about what an engineering manager does. And the reason why is because there's so many different types of engineering managers. Some are super hands-on, some are first-line managers, some are second-level managers, and they still have all have the title engineering manager. And so what we wanted to kind of do is talk about what our what engineering manager has been in our careers and how engineering works in uh, the UI organization as a whole. Yeah, and no, I think that's well put. And I, th I think the funny thing, too, is there's no one set of job requirements no, no, or no, descriptions. No. So I think that's what makes it super unique yeah, is yeah. Uh, it's not like you're to be a manager you do all these things and that makes you the manager it's like there's a lot going on no no, no. yeah it's part uh psychiatrist uh, <laughs> part uh project manager part pm when you're thinking about what technical choices that you're going to make as an engineering manager and how you need to invest in the platform as it is right now or how do you need to look forward in the future so i think uh you have to you have a bunch of different hats at a bunch of different times and balance those and a lot of those balls are in the air and some of them drop and then some of them you pick up later and some of them you delegate and I think a lot of that is being able to balance and seeing what you need to prioritize when and where. Awesome. Uh, so what, what made you get into management, Jared? Uh, like, obviously started out as an engineer. Yeah. Walk us through what made you go into management and what did that look like? So I started my management career at Microsoft. Uh, I think uh, I was young and, and, and ambitious. And I think one of the things that uh, I went into management. It was all for all the wrong reasons. Like I wanted, you know, more scope, more influence. I was tired of it, people, things being done the way that I thought was the wrong way. And you know, you quickly hit this this uh, this idea of what it, or understanding that it's more about the people and the relationships that you're building, and how that you and learning how to influence others. As a, and you don't always need to do that by I directly report to you. Um, but I think that's the way that I kind of fell into leadership. Um, I think, you know, a manager ended up leaving and there was an opportunity and they're like, yeah, you should take this. And so I jumped at it. But uh, I think overall, like, you know, when I sit back and look at it, I think I, I didn't go in it, into it thinking uh, the way I think now that managers, managers should lead with empathy. I was like, I want to rule the world. 
<laughs> hey, you got into it though, and and learned along the way. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It was, it, it was, it was a little uh, bumps and bruises. I, you guys will hear a bunch of little anecdotes I have uh, over the episodes that we have about like understanding, you know, how to calibrate people, and and first not thinking that you calibrate people or the people that report to you uh, against yourself. Like that's that's a common misconception I think around the industry um, because your jobs are completely different. Um, but w- nobody, there's not a handbook that somebody gives you right away when when you first step into this role, and so uh, you kind of feel these own ideas based based on pattern matching that you've seen. Like, how did my manager get to the way he went? So I'm just going to do that same thing. But, uh, you know, quickly you need to figure out how you're going to be yourself. What was the hardest thing when you transitioned into a manager? I'd say the hardest thing was understanding that I needed to delegate some work so that it can get done. And that um, the team's win was how I was going to be measured, not by how much work I output. Wow, I like that too, because I think that was one of the biggest things I struggled with was delegating. When I came into management, it was similar. I was actually working at Evernote and I was leading- We have um, that in common. Yeah, yeah. We were both actually worked at Evernote. We both work at Netflix now. Yeah. I didn't work at Microsoft though. Yeah. You missed it. <laughs> yeah, damn. <laughs> but yeah, so I I was doing a lot more lead work at the time and it was really funny. It was yes, a position opened up, but I didn't really get the option of signing up for it or not. It was just kind of like, okay, great, Ryan, you're leading this team now, which is great. I I honestly like love that I got that opportunity to do that, but it was a big transition. What I found really difficult was trying to still support my team as a technical leader as well as now being their manager that, you know, I'm helping them with growth and, you know, meeting with them on -on one-on-ones and really the personal aspect. I felt like at the start, I was doing a really bad job of both because I was trying to be an engineer as well as being an engineering manager. And man, that was tough. And I sucked at both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your time is just just not there for both of it. You're like, I'm answering email all day, right? Yeah. And then when I get done to start coding or get ready to start coding, it's like seven, eight o'clock at night and I'm not putting my full focus in there. I just want a beer and chill. And then I'm, I'm going to halfway do this and then I have to bend in that PR three three days into it or whatever. Yeah. And, and people counted on me. Like, yeah. I was holding up the process because like my team was like waiting for something from me and I'm stuck in meetings all day or answering emails or whatever it is. And and yeah, it was at at night that I found like I was coding. And so I was just doing kind of a poor job on both ends. So I had to quickly learn, delegate, stop yeah. doing the work, really focus on the new role. And I think another misconception that often comes up is just because you're a good engineer doesn't yes. mean you're going to be a good no, manager. No, 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 no. It's a completely different role. Yeah. It's like you're you could be the top engineer and then you get thrown into manager. Guess what? You're just like back at the bottom. Yeah. Now you're a junior manager and it's not the same role. It, exactly, exactly. The only great thing is uh your direct reports find your jokes a little bit funnier than when you were a peer. Th- that's fair cuz feel like they have to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh. It's well, that fake laugh. Yeah. One nugget you did drop was uh about being a leader uh, versus being becoming a manager. And uh, how did you feel like those things were different? I feel like so I I was like a lead front end engineer. And so my position there was really helping set the tone on the technology side, maybe helping mentor on technical 
aspects of someone else's role, other engineers on the team, but I wasn't really helping with like career growth or one-on-one conversations. Like I didn't really have to have that. It was more if I was having those conversations, it was more like let's how do we approach this problem on the technical level, not actually on the personal level. And even as an engineering manager, I still have those technical conversations, but I'm also a lot more on the personal side of things too. Do you feel like when you first started off as an engineering manager, um, that uh, for your team you had to be the technical guy also, or did and, and like if the technical questions did you find yourself like jumping in really quickly for them to answer that question before they could even uh, answer? Like, how does that play out? Yeah, I think sometimes it almost felt like. Or maybe I felt like I should be doing that. Agreed. Yeah. And then I quickly learned that I shouldn't. Um, I think it's more, that's when you really are like delegating to your team and also trusting your team. You may be able to do something or may have the answer, but it doesn't always mean it's the right answer. Or maybe it is also better to hear more from your team. And and you're probably going to have a better solution at the end of the day. That's absolutely a a, a good key there. And I would say like scaling was the next thing that we kind of learn is like, if you can scale your organization to have multiple leaders without, you know, manager reports or direct reports, but they're just like all leaders of a certain area or areas and they have overlap, then you can start to scale. And that's another hard lesson you have to learn. Oh man, scaling, I, I still haven't learned that lesson. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we're all still learning yeah, that like, lesson, I'm right? like, wait, can you help me here, Jared? Because <laughs> I, I am still struggling to scale myself. Um, and I think it's, I, I think it continues to to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, as you grow in scope, you're, you're always trying to figure out, okay, where should I spend my time? Where should I delegate? Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've actually figured the perfect answer out. And I don't think I ever will. No, no, no. I, I completely agree with you. Like it, it, with all the changes in scope and, and projects and priorities, like you always have to feel like, where should I invest my time? Where should I delegate this? How close do I need to stay at this at this different time? And that is probably the the kind of the art of being an engineering manager. Um, you can't just give somebody a book and say, you know, run the projects A, B, and C, and then uh, send status mails on these three days, and then you're a great engineering manager. It's the the art of like, I can let this glow. I can start pull this one closer. Um, oh, I have a new engineer. Like, let me pair him with this engineer, and that'll give me two or three extra hours um, for the first week. Yeah, I, but I completely agree. Like, you know, we're always learning these little tricks and nuggets of how to, how to scale. I wish we could automate more. That yeah. that would be nice. Is like, I mean, in the engineering Robots. world, yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I can offload to write a script to do that. It's not really the same in the management side because every problem is so unique. I don't think there's one that's like, I think, which actually I like that part of being a manager is the unique problems that you're dealing with. It's like one day you walk in and your day was not what you expected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and e- with that being said, you started off being the engineering manager of the UI, and then you moved to being a UI manager of a cross-functional team. How do those things, uh, how did that play out? Wow, that that is actually a good one. And since you and I both manage cross-functional teams, it, it, it has brought some interesting aspects, different challenges right off the bat, or, or something that I felt maybe a bit of imposter syndrome on was the fact that I'm hiring and managing engineers that I may not be really understand the area or languages that they're working in. And, And so that felt really weird for the first little while. I quickly learned that you're still solving very similar problems. And, and I was 
able to help manage that. Uh, but I will say at first, I was actually very scared of it is like, especially on mobile, I had, I've dabbled in mobile, but I haven't done a lot of objective C, Swift, Java for Android or Kotlin. And, and that's what we're doing. And we're yeah. doing a lot of that. And my team is quickly grown to have more native mobile engineers and i know that was that was one thing that i i was a little nervous about and i quickly learned hey it's we're still solving software engineering problems yeah it is about asking the right questions at the right time i think uh some of the the context that we have around being an engineering manager or seeing or being an engineer and then seeing the same kind of problems just asking somebody well how is that going to stay performant and then giving the room to let them uh, talk to you about that, or you can sense if, if they're uneasy or haven't even like figured thought about that, and they're like, "Oh, good, I got one." It's really about being perceptive. Yeah. Like it's like I like you said, you you ask the right questions at the right time, but it's also looking around the room and understanding the room before, and and that can really give you a signal, like, "Okay, everyone's nervous about this," or you know, yeah. that uh, this seems unrealistic, and and just asking those questions. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the same thing for me with cross-functional teams is that I. Um, hiring obviously is, is kind of one of the first things you, you run into is like, how do I hire this person that I have no context on what he's currently doing? Uh, and also evaluating them. And so some of that is just learning just to delegate that to the platform team. So and also asking, like I, I leaned on other engineers within Netflix or my team to say like, what types of questions should I be asking? What should I be looking for? What are signals? And I think that helped as well. Definitely, definitely. And then the other part of it is, is understanding what they're going to do. I mean, you have still different levels of engineers, especially even though we're all called senior software engineers, we still have different levels of engineers. And so staffing your team in an appropriate way that allows you to be flexible and hiring like in, in uh, building up leaders in your org so that you can stay close or, or stay far or know where to stay close and stay far to different parts of the org. So uh, we talked to briefly, or we were talking about cross-functional, which is very important, but even aside from that, hiring. Oh, how, how how important is as an engineering manager? How important is hiring, like as your day to day, or just as your job and role and title? Uh, even when you're not hiring, I am still spending probably about twenty percent of my week hiring, thinking about it, thinking about where I'm going. I mean, hiring. Uh, some people have this misconception: is like once you staff your team, um, you're done. But you all, I think about it that you have to continue to rehire the people that are there. Every project. Um, that you're, they're working on, they may have, they may opt out, and so you got to kind of keep continue to keep them interested. But also just the whole the, the LinkedIn and and re- making out contacts and then reaching out and nurturing people um, to find you know they may take a, the job today, but you know in five years they may want to come back to work for an opportunity that I have, and so. Uh, that's a lot of the time. And I know you do the exact same thing uh, with reach outs and, and going out to conferences and, and meeting people and meetups. I think uh, all of that is is just to to build a consistent pipeline that you can reach out to and, and look for talent um, that can staff for your teams. Yeah, I think it's all about networking and, and really reaching out to the right people at the right time. And it's never is the right time. Oftentimes people aren't ready to leave jobs or you know, whatever it may be, but it is good to, when you're trying to find those, uh, the right people for your team, like mm. really talented people, they're, they're not, it's not just, there's a pool of people that you can just pick from like yeah. that are ready to go f- to one company or the other. And also engineering right now is really in demand. Yeah. So there are a lot of amazing options out there. And when you're looking for top talent, it, it's, it's not easy. No, it's not. No. So I, I'm with you too, is it's even if I've staffed up my team where I'm, I don't have any new headcount, that doesn't mean I'm not 
always looking. Our workload will grow. Our scope will change. Someone might, like you said, opt out. They might say, hey, I've took another role at an, with another team, even within Netflix yes. or just another company or like there's these things that happen and you can't always be ready for them. So it that's one way to be is always keeping that pipeline and talking with different people definitely i know that um we're always trying to even help our other peers like our peers are always hiring also and we all have similar roles we although we manage cross-functional teams we have javascript we have ios and so when we see people or talented people we'd like to just get them here and then we can move over to a manager that that's hiring right, right at that moment or keep that uh person nurtured for a new role so back to a little bit of the uh, cross-functional teams what do you find are some uh, benefits of managing a cross-functional team? Like we talked about, it's a little bit different, but what are some of the benefits uh, yeah, that you found? Definitely. Some of the benefits I think are around uh, learning all of these different types of thing and bringing continuity across the different platforms. Like you just, you, you learn like, oh, the, Android does it this way. Why doesn't iOS do it this way? And some of that is by platform, but some of that is there's no good reason. Somebody just coded it differently. And as, and you can ask those questions. And so you can see little nuggets or little times where you have the ability to kind of shape the product um, because you're thinking of it in a cross-functional way. And I think uh, that's kind of the difference as opposed to just building something on TV and then uh, there's a team upstairs in their web. Like they have to, there, there's some inertia, like the 50 feet thing. If I have to go more than 50 feet, then I'm not going to go talk to that pe those people. Uh, but when you have a cross-functional team, all of you guys sit around the same area. So it's it's about getting those folks to talk to each other. And then when you have those little moments where you're able to, to shape the project and you see people talk to each other, you feel a little bit of joy in that you've done something. Yeah, you can, you can learn from like how one platform does it to the other and really optimize for, oh, wait, we could do that or we could make this better. Yeah, I think you've you've summarized it really well. <laughs> like, but I, I think there's you have a bit larger impact because yeah. you're you're reaching yeah. across multiple platforms. But yeah, I, I even think about it as like how do you bridge the gap too? Like you've kind of touched on that, but like how do you take a solution that may work on multiple platforms yep. versus just that one platform that you're thinking about? There are uh, like on our team we have these things called the common modules. Yeah. Um. Our so there is the opportunity to uh you know think about how the data is sent from the back end and capture these in common modules and then send those all to the front end. Uh, we're able to do that uh, for our teams because we have kind of, we have to think about this where we have products uh, or features that we build in one platform and we want to fast follow on another platform. So we've out of that has come this birth of this new kind of uh, mid tier or data driven server um, server services. And so that's very helpful for us. Yeah. And it's, so it's like looking for those opportunities to say, like, how can we support all these platforms? Is it, you know, you could even look at it as like leveraging something like React Native or oh, something definitely. where it's yeah. like, hey, is that, you know, we have JavaScript engineers. Can they write for these native solutions? Does that work? Or do you have to hire native engineers? Do you have to have them all writing different languages? Maybe. Like, I think there's all these unique solutions, but you have to find the right one. Did you have all React Native? Oh, did you did a conversion, didn't you? To React to, Native? To, no, 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 no. You did a conversion from like uh, native native developers to yeah, like front actually, end yeah. Developers. No, that's true. Uh, so yeah, on my team historically, we'd written the iOS and Android uh, sign up in the app as a web view. So it was really the native layer was serving up a web view, which then called our web server code and and rendered it within the web view. And so we were able to really 
use our mobile browser signup flow throughout those two apps. And then we decided, hey, this is it works, but we're, we're missing out on a lot of features and the performance side of things. It's just we needed a better solution. And so that was at the point where we said, OK, let's hire mobile native engineers and that that was that point where i'm like okay now i'm going to be managing something that i'm not as comfortable with i come coming at it more from like the web and javascript uh, focus Um, and so that was kind of where i really touched into doing more cross-platform we we were supporting tv at the time but even our tv implementation was javascript so it, it it makes sense yeah, that, that is kind of tricky. And like, as we think about some of the, we talked about the advantages and, and, and some of the disadvantages, like things just change. And so then you have a whole staff of people that, that are, are tailored to one specific type of development. And then when you have to think about what the needs of the business is, you move to like a more cross-platform team or more native platform team, um, which is in com- uh, compromised of all these different teams. And how much of a change was that for you? Oh, I mean, it, it was a change in the sense that like, yeah, now I'm talking to new new people. New stakeholders. Which, yeah, new stakeholders. I mean, similar, but... It- I feel like I was meeting with more of the mobile platform teams, the other UI teams to understand how they're hiring, problems they're seeing, how can we work with their teams? Like these are all things that just like new muscles that my team had to to learn and so did I. Like is how how much do you want how much should we be talking? You know, should we be coming to your stand-ups? Should we be how, how when does the push cycles happen oh like yeah. these like little things and coordinating all those that can yeah. be a challenge that is so a like big, and a disadvantage to you it because is you, you feel like you can't move as fast as you once moved right right which with web was like okay well we're we're pushing the browser code and that that's going to all all three platforms being ios android and the website and so you're like oh okay well no now you've got separate pushes yep. you gotta and wait app stores app stores like releases oh and, and so i think you know some of the disadvantages advantage of being cross-platform is you're coordinating with all these other teams and, and you are also now dependent on other like push cycles everything like that yeah i certainly agree i think uh when you're a cross-platform team that is on top of a platform team you don't control your own destiny at all the times and i think you have to find ways and unique ways to 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 determine your own destiny especially when you have something that is shipping on a date and you're like (laughs) you have to be a little bit more proactive than you'd have to be if you owned your own destiny or you owned your own ship from release cycles i think that was the one thing that you have to quickly get used to and i mean it's a little bit different than you know when you have a monolith or something or it might not be any different than when you have something like a monolith where everybody has to ship at a certain time but it is unique in the terms of you have just different partners and instead of having one partner i have five partners that i have to talk to and make sure that the the code that we're shipping is going to be released on time because it's 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 real dependent on a title or something like that well and it's also you know dependent on your team's success oh my goodness that that gets out there so you're like oh we can't screw this up yeah yeah Yeah. you have to be involved early on i mean another disadvantage of a cross-functional team is just the sheer volume of context switching oh my goodness. is like if you were an engineer writing all those languages that's a lot obviously like almost impossible to do that on a daily basis all that context switching but a- as a manager you're like dealing with you know an ios problem and then like two minutes later someone's coming to you with a web problem oh my goodness a- yeah, a- yeah. and so that can you got to switch your brain yeah. uh, like pretty quickly what do you think about um I, I felt the same challenges and I and I, I see that all the time. And so sometimes I, I end up thinking about 
how I can keep the people being cohesive. Uh, because the iOS people don't necessarily have a reason to talk to the TV or web folks, or the mobile folks can clump together, the TV web people may clump together. But how do I get these people together? Do you have the same kind of thoughts and challenges on your team? I think there's, I mean, we definitely have those challenges. I think we've gotten maybe a little bit easier in the sense that even when we were doing web views, and we still have some web views in sign up uh, for iOS or Android, there's pieces of it there. And so there was always a little bit of talking back and forth because there's the native bridge that yeah. talks down to oh, the web view. Yeah. And so I feel like that kind of that little bit of shared workload or being able to hand off, um, whether it be cookies or something that's being passed um, between the two layers, you have to talk. And so I think that that helped a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, it's not easy, especially if you're very siloed. So if you can try and get the team thinking together is like, how am I solving this? Even if I'm going to go write this little different in a different language you should still be you're, you're solving common problems definitely uh i think we have the same thing like we have the common modules that that thinks about how are we going to abstract, abstract this out for netflix uh we have engineering syncs where they get to talk about things and also we have projects where we may be doing two platforms that necessarily don't sync like tv and mobile and then the engineers can discuss how are you implementing this and how am i implementing this and where should the business, business logic lie for you and where should the business logic lie for me so that we can build this in a way that looks the same on both platforms um, I think those are the opportunities we have to make uh, or to invite developers to have a more co cohesive um, experience with each other as opposed to like I go build this, you go build this and then we we look at it on demo day and it's like completely different. Yeah, no, I think it, whenever you can encourage as much talking as possible, it's so beneficial to the team. It's like early as possible. Yeah. Like just get get that going early, not leaving it to like you said a demo or how are we approaching these two uh, similar problems. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing we kind of are, are hitting around is our partners also. Uh, running cross platform teams, we have a ton of partners that we have to do with. We at least have five. Um, and, and dealing with those partners, uh, is, well, I said dealing, but you know, talking with those partners and communicating them, providing them um, access to understand what we're doing and what we're doing on their platforms is probably one of the key things that we do as managers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, like totally, like you said, you have a date-driven project. Like you need to share that context and communicate that as, as early as possible um, and also constantly be checking in to make sure that there's nothing that's gonna prevent that release from happening. You know, making sure that you've gotten everything Thing buttoned up, but also now you're relying on this platform and making sure that you're aligned with that team as well. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that's that's probably the biggest part of us being successful is ha being having alignment with our partners and making sure that they understand what we're doing and then how we're making the same company be successful. Um, even there, because there's sometimes there's going to be some friction around what you're developing and why you're developing because they're moving in a different direction and, yep. and they want you to move with them where you're necessarily just trying to get some specific part of the code base out for them right now. And so you have to make these trade-offs with them and help them understand and, and they have to help you understand when, when you do need to move and then you have to take that back to your team. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the biggest thing that I've found beneficial, and I've made the mistake sometimes not doing this, so it's always like, how can I you know, get ahead of it, is sharing the context as, oh, as much as possible. And almost like reinforcing it too, is like, you think that you've, maybe you wrote it in a doc that, hey, we're doing this. Um, and that that's, that's great. That's a good step. But then it's like maybe going to one of their team meetings and sharing like why you're doing this project, how you're approaching it, what are the deadlines, why it's important to the business. I think all that additional context for other engineers that work on the platform is very beneficial. I often forget that. It's like, oh, we're moving in this other direction 
direction and you guys are on this other direction and, and we don't need to talk, but it's so important for you both to understand what direction you're going in. Absolutely. I think the platform teams and the, the your external partners often bring up some some things that you didn't know and, and telling you how you can do something a little bit easier where so you don't have the depth, you have some broad knowledge on how we should do something, uh, but they have the depth in saying, oh, we exposed this new API or we got these new APIs from iOS now that we can do these three things. And you're like, oh, wait, like that makes my project so much easier. And like you saved me three days or, or we're doing this and now it's going to take me an extra three weeks to do this. Um, and then also the, the things that we can do is, is join in them with, we're doing a, when they're doing debt, buying down debt, right? Yeah. So, so that uh, they, they also feel a part of the team and that they feel like you're invested in their platform too. Yeah. It's not like you're just in and out. You're, you're <laughs> a lot more aligned at that point is like, Hey, we own this together. And like, how can we help each other and, and sharing that knowledge together? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more there. Jared, one thing too, in managing like these cross-functional teams is you also have to manage like perception of external pro, uh, partners as well, which is not always easy. Yep. This is, they might not be other technical leaders. They yep. may not be engineers. You're dealing with other types of people in the company. Like, What challenges have you found with that? Some of the challenges is that uh, a lot of, with you, even your partners, your, pro, your product managers um, or partners that are helping you build a, a, an existing experience, um, they like there's different uh, experiences or different challenges on each different platform. And so when you're building that, you have to have some kind of depth to explain what the challenges are. Because if you're able, like an example is if I'm, if we have a project that's working on web, it's probably going to move a little faster. Web is easy to deal with. There's less uh, restrictions. And then if it's on TV or iOS or Android, uh, the ship cycle is bound to um, App Store, and so the may, we may not be able to do something. Or TV, we're bound. We're we're bound, It's just a different type of environment that we're developing in. And so I think uh, with your partners, it's kind of managing and giving them context on on how you these other platforms or how they're they're these other challenges that they have to deal with, so that they can understand and have context on how that impacts their projects or what they're trying to get done. Yeah, it's really managing expectations yep. and making sure that they're well again said. going back yeah. to the point. Share the context yes. is like really hopefully give them enough information for them to fully understand that. I think that'll be, be a secret drinking word context. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I mean this is a great first episode, Jared. Yeah. I mean, we covered a little bit of introductions yeah. of like why we're doing this podcast, and then talked a little bit about cross-functional teams. Yeah, we had a great time just discussing this, and and we're looking forward to. Uh, having many more episodes uh, we talk about our tattoos or beards yeah i'm not so good on the beard game but i can talk on the <laughs> tattoo game so yeah. yeah we look forward to future episodes you can find us at our website at www.managerstable.com and we're on twitter at managers underscore table any last words no we're here to have fun it'll be great right on cheers